Hello there, you are very welcome to Over the Wire. I am James McCarthy. If this is your first time joining us, we are a new podcast from the Anderson'stown News and BelfastMedia.com. And each week we will be diving into our archives and taking a look at some of the stories that we have covered over the past five decades. This week we are returning to the early 70s when the lack of social housing available in Catholic areas led the newly created housing executive to propose building a substantial estate at Polglass. That proposal wasn't without its opposition and even drew the attention of the late Reverend Dr. Ian Paisley, who famously marched through the area at a protest proclaiming that Protestants wanted peace, not Polglass. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined for this episode by the fantastic historian, Dr. Eamon Phoenix, who is working with the Colin Neighbourhood Partnership to develop a heritage trail around Colin, looking at the history of the area. Eamon Phoenix, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks very much. Indeed, uh, Jim, I'm fine. And thank you very much for your kind remarks. We've spent a lot of time in the last year uh, reconstructing the history of Polglass, going right back to its early history, making podcasts and marking historical sites. And this is the work of the Colin Neighbourhood Partnership, headed up by Annie Armstrong. And the launch is actually in the next few weeks. And I'm sure we'll be covering that in great detail at the Anderson's Town News. Now, it's a fantastic story of the history of Polglass. And, but in particular, the problems surrounding the availability of social housing within predominantly Catholic areas is one that is widely known. But what was it about this site at Polglass which drew the attention of the housing executive? Well, two factors there, really, Jim. One is, of course, that Belfast experienced the biggest population movement in Western Europe since the Second World War between 1969 and 1972. Somewhere between 60 and 100,000 people, three quarters of them Catholic, were forced to move home from states like Rathcool and Craiga, Dundonald. And of course, they became hemmed in the expanding area of Catholic West Belfast, really, from the Castle Street Junction, really, up towards Twinbrook, which was becoming occupied by Catholic tenants, many of them having to squat because they'd lost their homes in attacks um, during that very troubled period. So the upshot was that these people had to be housed. And really by 1973-74, the housing executive, which had been set up, was considering the idea of a satellite town embracing the slightly older Twinbrook area and uh, a new kind of housing estate on the farmland which encompassed pole glass, which lay between Belfast and Lisburn. They envisaged uh, uh, an area, a, a congregation, if you like, of perhaps 50,000 people. Um, and this, of course, was, was uh, put out for consultation. It immediately hit the buffers with Lisburn District Council. It was an overwhelmingly unionist council. And... Uh, Leading politicians, you've mentioned Ian Paisley, also James Molyneux, the Reverend Robert Bradford, later MP for South Belfast, who was a, a clergyman in the area, the Reverend William Beatty, um, who was a DUP councillor in the area, backed by elements of Orangeism and loyalism, began to object. And they eventually set up the anti-Pole Glass um, sort of pressure group, which began to organize meetings in Dunmurray, demonstrations, and even Union Jack-led parades through the area, they were trying to canvas local farmers um, and residents of that sprawling kind of rural area, you know, uh, of farms and uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, that kind of thing, that they should oppose um, this development, which would bring trouble to the, the gates of Lisburn Council, which would introduce, they said, the violence of the troubles and violent republicanism. That was very much their message. But remember, a housing executive report um, in 1973 had revealed that uh, almost 4,000 homes 
in or Catholic West Belfast didn't have basic sanitary facilities. I mean, this is the end of the old slum Victorian housing in Belfast as a whole, which is cleared away during redevelopment in the 1970s. But at this stage, people were living in grinding poverty and they had the added problem of having to up sticks and move home under violent threats and house burnings. So it was a major, major crisis. Um, and this campaign really went on in various forms from kind of 1973-74, when the issue was taken up by the short-lived power-sharing executive, who protests to the housing minister, Austin Curry, at that time. And then, of course, under direct rule, um, the Labour government of uh, Harold Wilson and Jim Callaghan was dealing with this issue as well, at a time when there were a lot of um, uh, rumours of, you know, the Labour government organising a withdrawal, you know, from the North at that stage. And, you know, the feeling was that they wouldn't invest the money required in the end, actually, it was announced by 1976 that the original number of houses, 4,000, would be cut to 2,000. And even then, the protesters in Lisburn District Council were not satisfied. They wanted no houses on palm glass at all. But by 1978, the land had been vested, and it was very hard on farmers who had been there for centuries, perhaps generations, having to move home. But their houses were vested, they had to go. And it wasn't really until the 39th day of the first hunger strike in November 1980 that the uh, first 300 houses were built in Poldlas and finally opened, mainly at, at Old Colin. And um, that was the beginning of the development. But the problem was, of course, it needed an infrastructure. It needed uh, schools, it needed a social centre, it wanted a church, um, and it needed a medical centre. And Lisburn District Council made clear they were not prepared to empty bins in Portlands. They were not prepared to provide recreational facilities. In fact, for a long time, uh, the council in Lisburn refused to recognise the validity of the Paul Glass Residents Association. Uh, and this really was smacked of pure sectarianism. So in the end, eventually, the um, British government ministers intervened. And I'm just looking at files I discovered in the state papers uh, from 1980. The issue was discussed by high-level uh, officials at Stormont in September 1980. And um, uh, Sir Ken Bloomfield, later head of the civil service, told his colleagues that pole glass was essential to relieve the overcrowding conditions of West Belfast. I mean, people listening will be aware of the sheer kind of uh, intensity of uh, housing, social and unemployment problems. West Belfast uh, was an unemployment black, black spot as well, with perhaps 50% male unemployment. And he said, of course, that Lisburn uh, had opposed it from the beginning. So, of course, the Catholic community viewed the scheme as a test of the government's will. That was the issue. Um, and the problem was Lisburn Borough Council was not fulfilling its responsibility. So the garbage was piling up. There was a public health threat, you know, to young families who were moving into the area, having got their first sanitary home, perhaps in a lifetime. Um, uh, Mr. Bloomfield said there was no uh, hopes of significant new job creation. Um, DeLorean was failing at this time. And uh, they needed a youth club, they needed playing pitches and so on. And uh, this was an issue. Obstructionist tactics, the officials said, would have to be um, confronted. And Sir John Semple said that refuge was a problem. Eventually, the minister intervened, a man called Philip Goodhart, and he instructs the council to empty the bins. It's a major issue at that time. I mean, I remember John Hume at the height of his influence at the time of the Anglo-Irish Agreement, um, citing the fact that there was a council in Lisbon 
they put in empty bins because they were nationalist bins. I mean, it was that kind of thing. So eventually, of course, the estate is gradually developed. A uh, health centre is opened shortly after this. And of course, a big issue becomes Cluna House, because of course, this is an issue for the British Army as well. From 1939, the GLC, the uh, head of the British Army in the north of Ireland, actually was living in Cluna House, which was on an eight-acre estate, um, surrounded by, you know, uh, an armed guard. There were even sentry boxes at the gate, I remember, in the early 1980s. And he felt this was not an uncomfortable place, obviously, for the GLC to have his residence directing operations during the Troubles. And uh, it was decided that the GLC would move to Lisbon. But what to do with the house? And it's very, very interesting. He would have liked an integrated school there. That idea didn't actually run. And then the Catholic Church expressed an interest. And eventually the British government decided they would make a gift of Cluna House and its grounds, which included a swimming pool and a tennis court, to the, uh, the Catholic Church. But the minutes are really uh, very, very interesting in this. Father Luke McWilliams was the, the parish priest, a young man at the time, and he was negotiating on behalf of the church with the British Army. And um, he made it clear they weren't prepared to accept a free gift from the British military. And it's really interesting what it said. Father McWilliams uh, made it clear he was prepared to pay £5,000. His reasoning, a Ministry of Defence official reported, was had nothing to do with loyalist criticism. It has more to do with matters within the local Catholic Republican community. In brief, the parish priest wishes to put it around that the church has had to put up a substantial sum of hard-earned cash to buy Clua House. And that's not a gift from the Brits. Otherwise, the priest said the house would be earmarked as a legitimate target. So eventually, the British government agreed to charge, it wasn't a large amount, but £5,000. And I remember the parish priest in one of the podcasts that people can view, they're now online, um, of the history of Portland from the earliest times. The parish priest said that when he first moved in that first night, they had to move in right away in case it was blown up or burned or anything else as a symbol of um, British military engagement. But as he moved in, he heard all these kind of birds singing and squawking and he opened the drawing room door and there were hundreds of coloured parrots and birds of all sorts in cages. And this had been the hobby of the GOC who was just vacating. And a couple of days, a few lorries arrived from Lisburn and uh, the um, colourful bird life was removed. Uh, and of course, it's now the centre of the Colin Neighbourhood Partnership. And I suppose that tells you a lot about the time. No, Catholic West Belfast needed housing badly. Uh, people were living with their grannies in insanitary Victorian slum dwellings at that stage. And uh, Paul Glass offered an opportunity for uh, people who had suffered terribly in the early years of the Troubles. And that's how the estate developed um, in the early 1980s. And uh, of course, is today enjoying all sorts of facilities thanks to the Colin Neighbourhood Partnership under Annie Armstrong's leadership, including, of course, the new transport hub, there's a new public park opening, uh, and so on. And, uh, you know, people are now proud to say, you know, I come from Paul Glass. And obviously you had mentioned there that the original plans were for around 4,000 dwellings and these were later reduced to around 2,000 dwellings. And due to the opposition, the plans were subject to a public inquiry. But how did the Catholic community react to the reduction in the size of the plans? 
Well, politicians protested. Paddy Devlin, who was an SDLP politician in West Belfast at the time, said it was a surrender to bigots. He was particularly angry that Don Concanon, the junior minister in charge at the NIO, was actually a Labour government minister and that they were kind of bowing. But of course, there was also a lot of information, it proved to be misinformation at the time, that Harold Wilson wanted to withdraw from Ireland entirely and they weren't going to invest in anything. So the Anderson News at that time, if you read the files, uh, felt that you know, perhaps the undercurrent here is they're not, I mean, they were beginning to pull the plug in Harland and Wolf as well. But nonetheless, there was great anger and particularly anger at the kind of sectarian rhetoric that was coming from some politicians in Lisburn and the denial of basic facilities. Now, eventually that's overcome because the British government leaned, um, as Sir John Semple recommended, they lean on the council to provide basic amenities in the area and Paul Glass develops. But the other issue, of course, is unemployment. You know, the whole of West Belfast was a black spot. Um, there were attempts by some very brave civil servants, people like Sir George Quigley at that time, to get work into the area. He was responsible for attracting DeLorean in 1978. The idea was that on a brownfield site between uh, Paul Glass and Twinbrook and Dunbury, um, a factory producing gull-winged um, uh, quality sports cars for the high end of the American executive market would be built there. In the end, they built almost 10,000 over a four-year period. But of course, there were massive British uh, subventions. John DeLorean himself was a dodgy customer, ended up being arrested in a cocaine bus. And it was a massive blow to people who had never had a proper job before and were on double shifts in DeLorean. I've interviewed many of them uh, for these programs. People can hear their reminiscences, you know, of how they were involved in producing these gleaming sports cars. And, uh, you know, at that stage also, a very popular, it's still a, a memento in West Belfast. A lot of people are very proud of what they still have in their house, a DeLorean radio current. <laughs> And if you look through Hansard, you'll see the likes of Robert Bradford, who you had mentioned previously, who was the MP for South Belfast at the time, suggest that the houses should be built in the likes of Hannah's Town instead of Poglass. Mr. Bradford also went on to suggest that if the development went ahead, that it would have major <clears throat> implications for law and order in the North. And then you also had the likes of the Ulster Unionist Party candidate, William McAllister, win his seat in Lisburn Area E in the 1977 local elections on an anti-Poglass ticket. But what was the mood like within unionism when the plans were approved in 1978? Well, in the famous Granada TV documentary, the Reverend William Beattie, who was MPS deputy uh, when he formed the uh, DUP, um, uh, boasted that the 300 houses that were being built would never be finished, that the success, the campaign would have, would be a roaring success against the development of Poglas. And um, um, there were claims that this would be a Republican estate. It would endanger the limited local industry, such as the Collins Glen baking, uh, baking factory at that time and so on. And that this was a, a Republican intrusion onto traditional unionist farmland, which in many ways it was. You can see the local farmers have been there from the plantation of Ulster um, in the shadow of Castle Robin, a plantation castle. And no one ever expected West Belfast, you know, starting off in Barrick Street and Hamill Street and post-famine times to extend that far out towards Lisburn. So it, it, it was a shock to the unionist uh, psyche, certainly in the area. A lot of the rhetoric was very sectarian. The Reverend Robert Bradford, who was later assassinated, of course, but he was a local uh, Methodist minister living um, in Suffolk 
at the time, and he was very vocal against the building of Port Glass. And of course, Hannaston was a traditional Catholic area going back to um, the penal days, really, where the old Catholic families had clung uh, when the plantation occurred. Um, and the feeling was, well, of course, if you house people there, it would have no political impact on Lisburn District Council. But once you brought in nationalist wards like Pogwells and like Mormons in the offing as well, it would have a political effect. But in the end, it was overcome. I mean, there were two nationalist wards. Uh, councillors with both SDLP and Sinn Féin sat in Lisburn. And in the end, there was a sort of a, uh, a working relationship, you know, which existed until a few years ago when the councils reverted to Belfast, you know. But it was the height of the troubles. It was the period of the biggest population movement in Western Europe impacting heavily on Catholics. Uh, you had the hunger strikes, that great emotional period. Bobby Sands was from the adjoining Twinbrook estate and his funeral was a major event in 1981. Uh, and then you had the rise and fall of DeLorean. Um, the ordinary people were quite quiet. Think of what many of them had been through uh, been through in 69, 70, 71. Like the Sands family, they were evicted from their homes in mainly Unionist estates on the outskirts of Belfast, and they eventually found um, insanitary accommodation in the falls, or they stayed with relatives, and then they were beckoned to these new homes. And let's talk about, you know, new schools, of which there were very quickly, new church community centre, and people made the most of it. And the one thing the local doctor I talked to, um, you know, Dr. Terry Bradley, now retired, and the local parish priest, Father Luke McWilliams, now in Money Glass, County Antrim, they talked about the, the brilliant sort of um, first tenants who came there. They were real pioneers. They wanted to make the most of it, you know. They wanted to create a community spirit. They wanted to attract jobs. They wanted their kids to get a good education. And they had been through an awful lot. And when work got underway in 1980, as you had said, Lisburn Council reneged on their statutory duty by announcing that they wouldn't provide a refuge service to the area. Now, as you had said, it later changed its mind and the first tenants moved in later that year. But how did the council think that they would get away with that? Well, I think they, they went for broke to prevent a nationalist estate within the confines of Lisburn uh, Borough District. There was no doubt about that. It was an extreme policy, uh, which wasn't going to really work under direct rule. I mean, all the statistics, and you've heard me talk about the meeting of senior officials on the massive housing problem in Catholic West Belfast at that time. I mean, there were levels of poverty, which were um, unprecedented. There were insanitary houses, which were leading to uh, unnecessary childhood illnesses, you know, at that time. And uh, this had to be done for humanitarian reasons apart from anything else. So eventually, and then I know Minister Philip Goodhart uh, really ordered the council to uh, fulfill its statutory duty, which it was not doing, you see. This was the problem. Um, things had settled down certainly by um, 1980, I mean, uh, but the unionists in Lisburn had actually um, restricted the size of Paul Glass. It was to have been a much larger conurbation um, and uh, that it, it does not, it, its um, population had been really set at half what was intended at that stage, you know. Well, I'm afraid that is all we have time for. Dr. Eamon Phoenix, thank you for coming on to the podcast. And we wish yourself and everyone at the Common Neighbourhood Partnership the very best of luck with the Heritage Trail and your very own podcast. I'm sure we'll be covering that in the Andersonstown News in the months ahead. And also a big thank you for listening to all of you at home. Until next time, Slán August Bannacht.